GDPR is like tax. Nobody wants to do it, but everybody has to. Hello, this is Richard Starnes. I'm with Cat Gemini Northern Europe. I am the Chief Security Strategist uh, for Cat. And uh, today we're going to be talking about GDPR and uh, how companies can effectively tackle GDPR this late in the game. I also have with me Peter. Peter, introduce yourself. Hi everyone, I'm Peter Hansen. I'm working as a senior security consultant at Capgemini in Sweden, focusing on information security as well as IT security. I should say that neither Peter nor I are attorneys and none of this should be taken as legal advice. Peter, it's uh, pretty late in the game uh, for GDPR. Um, what do you think are the key things that companies should be looking at right now? Well, first of all, I think they should be looking at that time is running short here. The law comes in effect in, in the end of May next year. There is a lot of work to be done, and not only from, from an, an infrastructure point of view, but from a process and awareness point of view, which, which effectively will take a lot of time. Uh, it's not something that you, you will get in place in just a few months, but it's actually something that, that needs to be well-defined and well-established. Um, so in the discussions we have with the customers here in Sweden, it is, it is it's very often about the time is, is getting short here. And I believe that's the same in the UK. So from uh, my working with clients and uh, reading legislation and the, the complexities that are involved, I would say that it would take between 12 and 18 months to put together an effective program if you don't already have an effective program for uh, DPA um, already in place. So from that standpoint, how long do you think it would take a company who has an effective program to get ramped up to GDPR and one that has just really started a, a data protection program? That very much differs on, on the, the actual maturity of, of the, the, the customer. I mean, the old directive is covering quite a lot of areas, and, and when, when you have the maturity and the understanding that you have personal data, that's, that's definitely a good start. But GDPR is also adding quite a lot of complexity compared to the, the old directive. So you might have to redo your data inventory because, simply because the, the amount of personal data or the definition of personal data has changed. So how long it takes is, is very much different on the complexity of the, the, um, the information environment within a company or within a public sector function. So one of the things that's uh, kind of caught a lot of people's eyes is the, uh, the section in there about the data protection officers and whether or not any company of any size processing data has to have a DPO and whether or not that DPO can be inside the company or outside the company. What are your, your thoughts on that? In most occasions, I would say that the DPO should be within the company. GDPR is, in many discussions, started as an IT function. But from my point of view, GDPR is only supported by IT. It's, it's the basis of what information a company or, or a public sector function store, manage, process, use within the, the processes as such. When it comes to, to IT, that's simply a supporting function where you need an additional set of controls, where you need protection, you need structure, you need processes. But without all the processes and everything behind it that is not IT, then I believe it's, 
it's becoming a problem. I would tend to agree with you. From from what I have seen, people take a look at the legislation and they get uh, a, a bit concerned and they're looking at the complexity of it and uh, they think that it is actually something a little bit different and more difficult than anything they've looked at previously. I tend to look at the GDPR as a privacy framework uh, not dissimilar to ISO 27001-2 as a security framework. You implement your uh, policies, you implement your processes, and you audit against those. Do you have anything to add to that? I think one of the differences I see is probably the the need of awareness. I mean, ISO 27K, for example, is is a lot about processes, a lot about structure. When it comes to GDPR, one of the things I tend to fear the most is that you can you can build technical systems, you can can have the perfect processes in place, but without the individual's awareness of how to manage that data, on how how to store it on, and how to take it off premises, for example. All the, the stuff you put in, in place for, to, to protect the information gets bypassed. Absolutely. And one of the things that's interesting about you bringing up the awareness bit is a lot of times companies, particularly large companies, have hoovered in these massive amounts of data and put them in all corners of their IT infrastructure and out in the cloud. And a lot of times companies don't actually know what data they possess and where it actually resides. Uh, how much of a challenge is that for GDPR, do you think? I think it's, it's not that hard. Well, it is, it is a challenge, but it's not that hard to, to, to make a, a list of applications and systems which you use in your daily business. I mean, if you go out into an organization and simply ask them what systems do we use, you can map that. It will take time, but you can do it. One of the biggest challenges I've seen when it comes to the data inventory is actually the, the interaction between systems. There are a lot of systems reading information from other systems, which makes the assessments really tricky. And that, that is the complexity of the, the IT environments, especially when they have started to build an environment, let's say 10, 15 years ago, which still is alive. And the, the knowledge about how it's set up has maybe even left the company. That's the biggest challenge I've seen when it comes to data inventory, not making the inventory in basis itself, but actually having a look not at system level, but actually on information level, how information flows between systems. That would turn me back to, to actually information lifecycle, which, which you probably have, have seen as well. Absolutely. And uh, to further on to your discussion about uh, complexity, you know, you can have a highly complex environment internally your own company and things become even more interesting when you're outsourcing to third parties who may be outsourcing to a third party who might be outsourcing to a third party. So sometimes your data may be shared out uh, to uh, places where you don't actually know. Obviously, you should be keeping track of that from a contractual obligation, but um, those are things that can uh, cause issues. Especially when they, you use services, for example, where you don't need a contractual obligation other than ticking a box saying that this, this cloud-based shared service is free of use. And then there's also the issue of shadow IT, uh, which is always a regulatory nightmare, not only for the security folks, but for the privacy folks as well. Um, one of the things that's uh, kind of uh, been another point of discussion is the uh, right to be forgotten and the right to uh, data portability. What are your thoughts on that? That's something that has 
been given quite a lot of focus in media. My personal view is that I don't see the right to be forgotten to be that big of a topic initially uh, for a company. I see that to be uh, one of the final parts of uh, the data inventory because the right to be forgotten is depending on that you, you actually know where you store data, that you know where you process data, that you know exactly where a person's personal information is stored. To start worrying about functionality in terms of the right to be forgotten before you know all that is pretty counterproductive because you need to know what, what you're supposed to delete. When it comes to portability, then then um, I don't even know where to start, to be honest, uh, because that is certainly a challenge. It certainly is a challenge. I mean, you have two, uh, you have a company that's a social media uh, website, and uh, one of their users decides that they want to go to another one. Well, they may be able to provide them with the, the data file, but it's going to be formatted probably significantly different than the, the receiving company's data uh, uh, file. So there's going to be some challenges there to be sure. So one of the questions you brought up, Peter, is the uh, issue of GDPR staff training and awareness. Now, obviously, that's a very important issue. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? What's the best way and most effective way to implement training? I think one of the important things about awareness, whether it comes to GDPR or, or when it comes to information security, is is to keep it as simple as, as possible. The issue and the challenges that, that people working with information security professionally have is that everything is, is quite complex and there is a lot of ifs and buts. But for anyone to, to be able to learn to, to be aware of complex things, you, you need to try to break it down uh, to as easy as possible. It needs to be understandable. It needs to, be, to, to stick really fast. And, and, and rather make it a, an awareness program for a longer period of time, uh, actually never-ending more or less, um, than to, to make it a, a one-time shot per year, for example. Because this is something, just as information security, that needs to be, it needs to be repeated. It needs to be, to be enforced and ensure that everyone actually gets aware on a regular basis what, what the, the rules of the game is. Absolutely. I think with, as with any uh, privacy legislation that uh, staff training is absolutely key and uh, repeating it on a uh, um, fairly good basis, at least annually, and, and documenting that training as well. That's always very important, particularly from uh, an auditor standpoint, which uh, kind of leads me tightly into uh, my next uh, topic is uh, Let's talk about one of the more interesting aspects that kind of raised everybody's eye for GDPR is the mandatory audit rights for the auditors. Uh, heretofore, they haven't had that ability, but now they automatically have the right to audit. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Time will tell, I would say. Uh, you, you have the local regulatory function, which is based on each member country. And already now, I'm, I'm seeing differences between the countries where, where some get quite a lot of resources and some does not. It, it's going to be tricky, especially if we, if we look at, at, uh, at the, the, the requirements when it comes to technical countermeasures or technical measures of protecting information. Depending on what system, but, but depending on, on the competence and, and, and also the, the focus of a, of a particular audit, that can differ quite a lot. 
I'm looking forward for the central regulatory uh, function here to, to actually produce some more guidelines into this because at the moment, the, the local authorities in, in the member states are looking into the GDPR and are looking into to, to the, the different articles which have uh, an opportunity for local variations. So if we look particularly in Sweden, for example, the, the result of the first review came, came as late as last week and, and there are still clarifications to be made. That's absolutely right, Peter. One of the things that uh, is a, always a challenge with legislation is, is legislation has to be interpreted. And you have to ask the uh, the local uh, authority what their views on particular topics are, and then you have to build up uh, an FAQ, a, a, a institutionalized uh, knowledge base for uh, how those uh, uh, different things are actually going to work uh, according to the legislative language. So that's that is always a challenge. Well, I would like to thank Peter uh, for uh, joining us. It's been certainly a very interesting discussion on GDPR and how best uh, for companies to react to that. If you would like to uh, contact uh, us uh, further on the subject, I can be reached at uh, my Twitter handle, which is R-R-S-T-A-R-N-E-S. And Peter? Uh, I can be reached at my Twitter handle, uh, which is CyberSecPH in one word. And I'm also on Twitter as Peter Hansen at Capgemini in Sweden. Thank you for attending our podcast. And we really hope you enjoyed it, and we're looking forward for uh, your discussions and uh, next time that you join us. Thank you so much. Thank you. People Matter. Results count.